Hi guys, welcome to Real Health Talk by Mindset Movement. I hope you're having an amazing day. Today we have a special guest who's a physical therapist. His name is Alan Snyder. Now he's going to explain how to have a stress-free life just by doing physiotherapy. So we're going to bring him on just after this. I'm doing well, Sass. Thank you so much for having me on today. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. You're a doctor of physical therapy. You have a bachelor of kinesiology. Yes. Yeah. Kinesiology is a fancy way for saying exercise science. That's my undergrad degree. Yes. It sounds wonderful. Okay. And you work uh, with people who've had uh, orthopedic injuries, etc. You've also worked in a hospital. Maybe I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit further. All right. Well, My name's Alan Snyder. I have a clinical doctorate in physical therapy. That's the new standard here for us. Um, I have experience in all the spectrums. Physical therapy covers hospital care. We call that acute care. There's rehab. So that's people who are staying more in a intense setting for longer periods of time because, you know, the main hospitals get them up, get them out pretty quick. And then I also worked in the next stage called home care. That's when people go home and they're just not quite ready to go back into the community. And then, then eventually they progress to outpatient, where I specialize in right now. And I work with people on the Upper West Side of New York City, all injuries, deconditioning, anything that I can do to physically get them back to 110%, because most people aren't at 100%. I want to get them better than they were before, not just back to where they were a couple weeks ago. What's the difference between a rehabilitation doctor that I saw after my operation and someone in your profession, in your medical area? So it's very interesting because there's a lot of different areas of medicine. We have physical physical medicine rehabilitation. That's more of an MD. So they write prescriptions. They write scripts for different things. They can run tests. I have something called a DPT, a doctorate in physical therapy. I tend to be more of the hands-on guy. It's more not the diagnosis but the treatment. So the doctors write, they give us orders. This patient has this illness. They have this injury. Treat them two times a week for six weeks. And that's where I kind of take over. Now, sometimes we have to take a step back and say, I don't think that this is right. Your doctor really might've missed something. Let's maybe think about a new test. Let's go backwards. Or sometimes they just, the doctors don't want to give it to specific diagnosis. They just say, here you go. The patient has pain get them better. And that's where we take over. And as physical therapists, it used to be a bachelor's back in the day. Then it progressed to a master's. And in the last, I think, 10 years, they progressed it to a doctorate. And we are there. We are in the year 2020. And the American Physical Therapy Association, where I'm a part of, had a vision 2020. It's kind of a play on, you know, seeing perfectly that all practicing physical therapists will have clinical doctorates at that point and transition into that if they have to. Amazing. And so my second question is about the difference between physical therapy and physiotherapy. What is the difference exactly? I have to tell people this all the time. So being an American, being in New York City, you know, we do things differently, right? You know, the rest of the world uses the metric system and Americans do not. 
And of course, it's always great talking to people from other parts of the world. And they say, oh, well, I had a leader of this. And I don't know what that means, truthfully. I can kind of guess. The same way when I travel, it, it was 100 degrees Celsius or whatever. I don't know. I think that would be the, the heat of the sun. I know Fahrenheit. So the same holds true. American physical therapy and the world physiotherapy are the exact same thing. It really is. So it's the same thing. It's just in the States. You call it physical therapy. That's correct, physical therapy, because it's physical. Why does everybody else say physio? It beats me. It sounds a little bit more confusing. So we win. This time we have the right answer then, I guess. Okay, but the rest of the stuff, you're a Celsius person. No chance you convert to Fahrenheit. Exactly. Now, Dr. Allen, tell us, you spoke about how to live a stress-free life. Now, for me, physical therapy is about um, if you've had an injury and you're trying to get healthier, be able to walk, um, um, maybe use your limbs better. So it's about the health. But I've never heard about a physical therapist helping someone with a stress level. This is interesting for me. Personally. But can you explain to us what the connection is, how this works? So when you're talking about stress, and I am far from an expert in stress, there's a lot of different types. You have physical stress, you have emotional stress, you have mental stress. And I believe very much in there's a connection. There really is such a big connection with everything. Sass, you're 100% right. 95% of my patients that come into my clinic have pain. Pain is all we talk about. It's all about the pain. Some people come in, they want to work on balance and different things. But that being said, the things that are connecting pain, limited range of motion, weakness are related to stress. It is related to the physical stress that takes on the body. And whether it's, and I'm going to tell everybody the secret to physical therapy, okay? The secret to being healthy right now is if you are tight, you need to be looser. And that can be in anything, but specifically when you have a tight muscle, not tight with money, but tight with your stretching, tight with your muscles. Although people that are tight with money might also be a little stressful. So the two secrets is being tight. I want to make my patients looser. I want to make them more flexible. And the people that are weak, I want to make stronger. And you know, you could really use those for any areas of your life. Wherever you are weak, you need to get stronger. Wherever you are too rigid, too tight, being a little bit more loose will help you. Now that's the physical part of it. And as much as those principles can tie into the mental part, I talk about the, the physical. That's me. So when I have people and we know that physical stress, you carry physical stress in your body. We all, oh my God, how great does it feel when somebody's massaging your shoulders? We carry it in our upper trap muscles right above here, which causes neck pain, which then causes you to be tight and you sit different and you move different and you act different. So getting rid of those physical pains will help you with so many other things, not to mention 80% of the world at some point will miss at least one day of work related to lower back injury. I don't know if you've ever had a lower back injury. If you've ever had pain, everybody knows somebody that's had back pain. And most of my patients that have back pain, it's related to poor posture and tight muscles. Absolutely. I've been there. I mean, how many times have I taken days of work because of lower back pain? Interestingly enough, that's exactly where I was diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago. Because wow. I had so much pain due to stress at work. So that's very interesting what you just said. There is definitely a connection. 
However, I'd like to, you talk about physical therapy for the body. What about the mental therapy? Is there a connection between a stress and a mind which um, then goes on to the body or is it the body which then impacts the mind? What comes first? I agree, definitely. And I'm not the biggest yoga person, but there's a reason that yoga has been around for thousands of years because it really goes into the mind-body connection. And if you're too tight in your body, your mind will suffer. And if you're too tight in your mind, your body will suffer. I work very exclusively with my patients. I work one-on-one for a full hour. And I want to get in as much treatment as I can physically But we tend to talk about a lot of the other things in our lives. And I always keep all conversations are PG-13 in my room, but we get there. We talk about a lot of different things that happen. And every now and then, and I have a patient right now where, I mean, she was in tears. She had all this emotional stress that was limiting her physical ability. And as she was able to go on and talk to me about so many different things, she actually had a nice release. She was able to kind of deep breathe more. She was able to relax. And we could get her to a better place physically. Now, that's not my area. I am not a mental health clinician by any stretch, but I've been working with patients for over 12 years now. You have to get good at the mental because it, it's nice. It's, you know, my mom worked at a dental school and her boss always said, you know, anybody can do a root canal, but it's dealing with the difficult situations that make great dentists. And I think when it comes to healthcare practitioners, that's usually what separates the good ones for the bad ones. The funny statistic is when it comes to being sued for malpractice, it's not the good doctors and the bad doctors. It's the doctors with the bad bedside manner get sued far more than the doctors with the good bedside manner. And you would think that doesn't make sense. But if a patient doesn't feel safe, if they don't feel comfortable, if they, they're not going to have a good experience. So dealing with some of the mental, some of the talk, just being nice. I mean, I have somebody come in and how are you doing? And too many times we go to a doctor's office and what is it? The first thing you walk in, it's not hello. It's give us your cards, give us your copay, give us this. It's rude. And I think when you can start addressing your patients as people, because I always say my patients, that's somebody's mother, grandfather, father, sister, and I'm going to treat them accordingly. And I think that's kind of where, you know, healthcare, it says the word in there right now. It says care. You're supposed to care about people. And too much. It's about health make money right now. And we don't have the best healthcare system here. And it's a big part of our upcoming election, but there's a problem with that. And when you can treat people better, they will be able to relax. They will be able to get better. And then we can get into the actual stuff of physical therapy. Right. I see. So treating people better, having better beds, not bedside manners, sorry, doctor's manners. <laughs> so it's the same thing though. It's the great okay. Boy, golden rule, second grade, treat people the way you want to be treated. I really want everybody to live their life. Anybody listening to this, just treat people how you want to be treated. Anywhere, at the store, here, there, it doesn't matter. And what you'll probably be surprised is that they will all respond positively back to you. That's it. People are people. They're not just patients. In um, in France, the, the system's different. The healthcare system is really different. We don't actually pay the, the um, physical therapists. The social security um, is that's taken care of automatically. So that's a good thing. So in the States, that's not yet the norm. Um, I hope you guys make progress in that area because people need it. Tell me about this. You said if you're too tight, you need to loosen up your muscles. If you're too loose, you haven't done enough sport, you know, you need to firm up a bit. Tell me how, how do patients do that? How do you help them do that? I take for granted 
how much I know about anatomy, exercise, stretching. It's something I've always been into. But you have people right now. My, my girlfriend is so smart. She went to art school, one of the best art schools in the nation. She is so successful in her business. But when it comes to what's this muscle right here? This is your, your clavicle. This is your what? And she has no idea. So when I have people come in, I always say, I'm going to talk to you like you know nothing. Don't be offended. We're just going to start from the basis here. And I do a lot of the same stretches for a lot of patients because the back of the thigh muscle, the back of the thigh is the hamstring muscle. The hamstring attaches to the pelvis. The pelvis attaches to the lower back. And when that muscle is tight, it's going to cause a rotation of the pelvis, which causes stress on the back, which causes stress in your life. You start missing work. You start having more fights with your family. You start pain sucks. It's like when you have a, a tooth pain, it's all you think about. And back pain is no different. So when you can become stretching and strengthening and exercising more, you start feeling better. You start looking better. You start getting injured less. And so many things clear up in people's lives. And it's really undervalued because here, you know, we have a guideline is 30 minutes a day of conscious exercise. 10,000 steps, and we all have cell phones. They have the pedometers right on there. People aren't doing it. They're just not getting the exercise. And when it comes to the World Health Organization, they do a study every year of people that have died. The, not cancer, uh, not accidents, not hurricanes, not COVID. The number one killer in every year, year over year, 10-time world champion back-to-back -back is heart disease. And it's cardiovascular health and things related to it. And we found that, I mean, with COVID going on right now, heart health is number one. It's so important. And most people don't get the proper exercise, stretching, anything. And that just, it ruins lives. It really, really does. How does, um, that's interesting. I was going to ask you about the, the lower back because you spoke about the, behind the thighs and it goes up to the pelvis and lower back. So is it always from a lower to the top or is sometimes from the top to the bottom? Yeah, it, it's everybody's different. It depends on posture, 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 posture. If I had a dollar for every posture, because sometimes it's the lower back that causes neck pain because you start sitting very sideways and forward and forward and forward. Other times it's the neck and you start doing things different. I have patients are very creative. I had a gentleman I was working with last year who had a knee issue and we focused on, I'm sorry, he had a back issue and we were focusing on his back so much. And it was all because he sits at work very oddly because he has an old knee injury. And if you, I'm not there, I don't, I see them once a week, twice a week for one hour. They have to see themselves 24 hours a day all the time. So you have to be aware of how you're moving, how you're doing everything, just postural awareness, being of your mind, your body in space and how you move. You know, if don't start problems, there won't be any. Well, if we can go back to the beginning, rewind and build people back up from the bottom and give them a basic, basic, and we're talking the easiest stuff here that anybody can do. And that's where the healthcare professionals come in is because, yes, my grandmothers are going to stretch very differently than my 25-year-old athletes. It's They're not getting down on the floor on a basketball court and stretching their legs a certain way. So you have to make modifications for what people can do and how they're going to stretch to be healthier and prevent injury. Prevent that. It sounds bad for business, but people keep coming back and refer me other clients. But if I can prevent anybody from ever being injured, life would be better and people will be healthier. So it's not just treating the symptoms. We're actually trying to go back to the cause. What is causing this? and help the person to understand, like, for example, posture, 
how it needs to sit and stand. Absolutely. I'm guilty of it. I played sports my whole life and you get to the field and, you know, you kind of stretch to this side, you stretch to that side and that's it. And off we go. And now we're full blown sprinting. And, you know, you guys call it football. I won't get into that argument right now. But next thing you know, somebody pulls up lame in the back of their leg hurts right in their hamstring, right in their Achilles and their calf muscle. The stretching is so important. I personally have been doing competitive kickboxing for the last six years and they force us to stretch 10 minutes before the class and 10 minutes after the class. It's actually a part of the class, and I hate it. I hate it because we do 50 minutes on a bag and punching and kicking, and you're melting. You're pouring out sweat, and then they say, enjoy the stretch at the end. And I would gladly take 10 more minutes on the bag than a 10-minute hardcore stretching. But the truth is, is I get injured a lot less now. The muscles don't cramp up. I focus on my hydration. Hydration, hydration. Eight cups a day. I don't know what that translates to people, but eight cups a day. And I challenge anybody listening to this, keep track of your cups. You get a negative for alcohol and caffeine. You get a positive for water. Also, you know, make sure you stay away from some of the, the seltzers and some of the other stuff that has too much sugar in it. But if you just want to really challenge yourself, because most people think they're drinking enough water, I do it all the time. I will keep track and I drink all day and you're just in and out of the bathroom constantly and you only get to six. You only get to six, maybe seven cups. If you're hydrated and you're stretching, you will not get injured as much. It's just factual stuff. It's great for you. I, it sounds like common sense. And as you sit here, you're thinking, yeah, I, I probably don't do that enough. I don't. Yeah, no. What is the link? I mean, what is the link with being hydrated and the muscles and not being injured? Well, your body is made up of a lot of water and it functions on water, whether it comes to brain function, whether it comes to heart function, whether it comes to muscle function. So what cramping is and what pain is, is pain is the way that the brain is being told, stop, don't do this anymore. Something bad happened. And when the muscle doesn't have the adequate hydrogen and oxygen, H2O, water inside of it, it can't function properly. If you think of your body more like a car, because especially that's how it works when it comes to fat being stored. It's kind of like putting too much gas in the tank. So when your gasoline tank starts to overflow, the body stores fat. But having water is kind of like the oil. It's more like the lubrication for the muscles, not so much for the joints. If you don't have the proper lubrication, if you don't have the proper oil in a car, it's just not going to run correctly. So making sure you're not putting too much gas in the tank, making sure you're not driving too far in an empty tank, and making sure the car is adequately oiled is kind of how I equate food, water, and how the body works. It's, it's crazy because we're muscles and bones, but really we're more like computers and cars than anything else. And, you know, I was in college. They made me take a course called biomechanics, and I was 17 years old, and I'm embarrassed to say I thought they were going to make us work on cars, and I almost switched my major, and I hate cars, and I think it's so crazy. And by the way, biomechanics is just physics for the body, so it had nothing to do with that at all, so I'm glad I didn't switch. But at the same time, when you start thinking about how the body works, it really is like that. I mean, we and we are our own mechanics. You can be your own mechanic. You don't have to go to school. You just have to have a little bit of knowledge. The entry level for knowledge to treating yourself is so small. And kind of like I said, I think we're all very poorly educated and just watching YouTube and Instagram videos is not going to get it done. It really isn't. Okay. So drinking enough. Is there a certain time someone um, who works with a pharmaceutical company um, said that drinking a little bit of water 
before you go to bed is important because of the, I don't know, you tell me, I might have got this, I might have got this wrong, because of the, um, the spine, what is between um, the discs? The what? The intervertebral discs, the discs. The yeah. discs. He said that the disc, they flatten during the day because we're walking, we're sitting, we're hitting it. And then during the night, that is when they, they sort of bounce up and rehydrate and they need water for that. Is that right? That is correct, but I need you to know, and especially with your hand motions for the video watchers here, it's not this massive, you're going, because you do lose something like a couple millimeters of height every night, but that is very, very tiny. I think what the person is saying is great information. We need to be properly hydrated. Does it matter when you're doing it? Now, personally, if I drink anything within an hour or two of bed, I'm surefire to wake up at in the middle of the night and have to use the bathroom. So I don't think you should be doing it right before you go to bed, but kind of getting back to what we said, you know, if you if you don't want a problem to happen, you need to prevent it way more in advance. So making sure you're hydrated all along the day. I don't recommend waking up and chugging, you know, eight cups of water to start your day, but I do know a lot of people that the first thing they do, because think about eating and drinking. We are up from whatever time in the morning to whatever time at night, and then you sleep. Hopefully everybody's getting seven hours or more of sleep. That's kind of the magical number, but you're fasting and they call it breakfast. It's break fast. You are breaking the fast. We don't go seven. I can't go three hours without eating or drinking something. But when you go that long time, the first thing you do when you wake up and I'm guilty of it. I mean, I've only had coffee to drink so far for the day, but your body needs nourishment and drinking some water to get that going is great. And certainly when you talk about, you know, I heard a story years ago about Roger Federer, who most people know as one of the most successful tennis players. He actually drinks two cups of water when he first starts his day at room temperature because he doesn't want any hot or cold going in his body. And then his body has to work harder to process, to digest. He wants all of that energy going towards his serve and his, you know, advertisement probably. Uh, not that drinking or eating is going to really make your metabolism start burning more if it's hotter or colder. That being said, if it takes money to make money, it takes calories to burn calories. There is a magic number. It's called your BMR, your basal metabolic rate. And you can go online to a website. You type in your height, you type in your weight. It'll give you a good range of how many calories a day you're supposed to be eating. It's not a great thing for everybody to read this. And this is what I'm supposed to do. But fat is 3,500 calories. And I don't know if that converts for you guys, but that's one pound of fat. So if you want to lose one pound healthy, you need to have a deficit of 500 per day. So when you go on a crash diet and you're just down to nothing, you see people put on weight sometimes because their body is just freaking out and doesn't know what to do. But when it comes to the time of day that you're eating, and my patients always ask me, if I do my exercises once in the morning, once in the afternoon, once at night, is that good or should I do them all at the same time? And I say, if you eat an Oreo in the morning, an Oreo in the afternoon, an Oreo dinner, you still have three Oreos. So it is important to space things out because it's better for the long run. But at the same time, you need to make sure you're getting the proper amount of food. And when I say proper, I don't say enough. I mean, there's a proper amount. And here in the States, they put calories on the menu at fast food restaurants. And for somebody like me, I'm supposed to have about 1,900 calories per day. And when you go to McDonald's and it says that that meal is 1,600 that's murder. I mean, all, you know, Weight Watchers is a huge company. All they did was just assign point values to calories. It's really not that complicated, but you really makes you think how much should I be having and what's the adequate amount with water being a huge hydration and tying everything in. I think this all is very much related to everybody's health and stress levels because I stress when I'm gaining weight. I stress when I'm putting on clothes that don't look so great. I stress when I'm hurt. I stress about how much money it's going to take to fix the injury. 
there's so many things that go on, let alone the exercise, the high you get. Now, I'm one of those people that loves exercise. I know some people hate it. I tell people the best exercise is the one that you enjoy doing, the one that you don't hate. You're not going to love it. There's no secret exercise, sport, whatever out there that you don't know about that. Oh, my God, if I know about this, I'd be doing it the whole time. But there is something. Find an exercise that you think doesn't suck. Just that's it. It doesn't have to be your favorite thing, but something that you won't hate and just do it a couple times a week and you will find your body starts to produce endorphins. You ever see that movie Legally Blonde with Reese Witherspoon? It's one of, one of my favorites where she's a criminal defense lawyer and, and she's defending her former sorority mate who's on trial for murder. And they say, well, why did you think she didn't do this crime? And her, her response is great. She says, well, she's an exercise model and exercise makes endorphins and endorphins make you happy and happy people don't kill their husbands. And that's not exactly how that works, but there is some truth that you feel good. You've heard of the runner's high. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's interesting. They, they say that about work as well. When someone um, is not stressed when they have uh, a correct level of stress, they're at work, their symmetry is much better and it's better for the companies for the profit. So to get that stress level in a correct balance is important. Um, what about, you spoke earlier about cardiovascular disease. Now, what is the link here with uh, the stress level and what can physical therapists do for those patients? So cardiovascular disease incorporates a lot of things. That's when you start talking about heart attacks, strokes, peripheral vascular disease, diabetes. It ties into obesity. It ties into osteoporosis. There's so many things that are related to it. Now, as a physical therapist, my pride and joy is a patient that I met five years ago who had an open heart surgery. We call it a coronary artery bypass graft times three or four. So we're talking open heart surgery where they crack the ribs, they open this guy up, they go and they fix him. I mean, this gentleman I started working with, he had one of those, you know, he was out one day and next thing you know, oh my heart, oh my God. And, and he went down. Now I didn't meet him until weeks after his surgery, but we started when I saw him at his house and the goal was getting him to walk from his bedroom to the front door and he had to rest. And he's like, he was a young guy, he was 61, 62 years old. Then it was walking to the elevator. Then it was walking around the neighborhood. And I've been working with this gentleman for physio rehab, for physical rehab, once a week, usually three times a month for about five years. And he is at the level now that, you know, I told you I do some boxing, kickboxing, where he puts on gloves and I put on gloves and 10 minutes every session, we box. Sometimes we spar even, but he hits the pads. He's not, he's not Mike Tyson, but he's moving and he has been in such good health for so long and it's so beautiful and it's so special. And he loves that I talk about him like because he's in my commercials, he's in my advertisements. It's so perfect. But for other people, you know, you mentioned this work-life balance. Absolutely. The healthier you are, the more you, and my line is you can't spell balance without Alan because it's all, you know, think about it, right? B-A-L-A-N. But I work with other people here, like I mentioned about just simple balance exercise. One of the number one killers for women specifically over the age of 65, but also men are falls that lead to broken hips because when your balance is bad, you fall more, you end up in the hospital. And here's a fun fact. People get sicker in hospitals. It's terrible, but statistically you are safer going bungee jumping than you are going to a hospital. These are facts. I've sat through seminars. People get sicker in hospitals just from little things. And every hospital is trying to get better and better and better by controlling the other things that they can't control. Yeah, sometimes doctors, things happen. But if we can prevent hospitalizations, we can prevent the falls, we can prevent deaths, people can live longer. 
So being in physical therapy, helping their balance help. And now how do we get the balance better? Let's come back to the point number eight. You got to stretch, you got to walk, you got to strengthen. It's crazy. I mean, I tell my patients that they come in with such high hopes of, wait, you're going to help me stretch and get better. And this is all going to work. And I tell them, if you put the work in a couple times a week where you stretch and strengthen and go for exercise, I've never had a patient, never, never, ever that didn't make some type of improvement and their overall quality of life. Excellent. Now, what about women who have osteoporosis, so in a menopause phase, um, for medical reasons or of the age, what type of sport should they be doing? Should it be um, regular jogging, running, um, boxing? What type of sport or endurance sport is more adaptive? I think the answer with is more weight-bearing exercise. So when you say jogging, I don't know how many women with osteoporosis are truly jogging, but even just walking, elliptical machine, anything where they're going to be doing some weight-bearing. So let's take out rowing. is a great upper body, great endurance sport, but you're not really putting a lot of weight through the femur, through the thigh muscles. So simple walking, you know, biking is good, but again, you're not really doing a lot of, and when I say pounding, I'm not saying you should be jumping either, but you know, one of Newton's uh, theories, his principles is, you know, when you push into the ground, the ground pushes back upon you and it's all about forces. And I don't want to get too boring with science, but basically if you push through the ground and the ground is not strong enough, you go through it. So think of like a, a lake that's frozen and you push through the ice and you fall. But when you walk on the concrete, on the cement, it doesn't break because the concrete has an amount of force that then pushes back up through your body. And the way the bo body responds to physical stress, that's how muscles work. That's how bones work. That's what soreness is. Soreness after you exercise is your body's way of saying, you need to take a day off, you need to rest. And that's okay. That's okay sometimes. I want my patients rehab. I want everybody who's exercising. You should look like a good mutual fund. You should go up, 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 eh, maybe have a little bad day. Then you go up, 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 and then you, it's okay. It's okay to take a step back sometimes to rehab. But when you're doing weight-bearing exercise, you're, the muscles, the bones start restructuring. So what I would say to any, and again, specifically women, they're just between hormones, between menopause, between bone structure, Women are more prone to this than men are, not that men can't be osteoporotic or osteopenia, which is the step before. So you have normal people and then they test your levels and then they'll say, oh, you're osteopenic. And it's not a death sentence. It just means you're on the road to osteoporosis. So when your levels are starting to get up there, you want to make sure that's when you're really starting to increase the weight bearing exercise that you're doing because your bones will restructure and they will get hardened and they will be much better. So God forbid you do have a fall, you won't break your hip, which happens way too much. Okay. So to wrap up um, this interview, let's say, let's try and summarize. You said eight cups of water per, per day. Doing sport three to four times a week, um, maybe if you have um, osteoporosis, maybe every day, a walk, something Absolutely. like that. Yes. Sleeping uh, well, what else did you add there? Wow, that's really kind of, the, I mean, I also say I'm not the best eater. I'll just admit it. But if people can just be a little more aware of what they're eating, and I'm not green, I'm not saying go start eating rabbit food, but just try to be aware and the best thing to take away for now I gave you a compliment when I first saw you because you have such a colorful persona between your shirt, between your painting, between your makeup, between your earrings. Think color. When you're eating, you should see three colors on your plate. 
And you'll start to notice now that unhealthy food is not that colorful. Think about fried chicken. It's this like, I mean, I love fried chicken, but it's kind of this ugly brown whatever. And now think of a salad. It has beautiful red. It has orange. It has green. So I think the last part, because the first three things you said were fantastic, just to hit three bullet points. If nobody hears anything, absolutely what you said. But with food, think color. And ketchup doesn't count as another color, nor does barbecue sauce or mustard. But the actual food should have three colors in it. That's it. That is excellent advice. They do that for kids in cafeterias. They give them like green peas or carrots, and they're trying to help them recognize the colors and get attached to the food, the vegetables, through the colors. Because they say kids don't like vegetables. Why is that? You know, someone said to them, have fries instead. They're not born on fries. They're born on colorful vegetables. Exactly. Eat with your eyes is the, the expression, but that's the best way just for people. Just It's really because, again, I'm not I, – I love pizza. Pizza is my favorite thing in the world. I love pizza. And as much as I like we have Hawaiian pizza, it has the bread, it has the cheese, it has the meat, it has the fruits, and it has the dairy. That doesn't count for all five food groups. Pizza is still not good for you. But the truth is it's probably better to get pineapple, although some people don't think you should have pineapple on pizza. I do enjoy it. Then it is to have – the fried, I mean, have you, we have these slices here that are pizza with pasta on top of it, and it's just all the same color, and it's carbs on carbs on carbs, and that's not the way to go. So when it comes to color, eat with your eyes. Definitely. I like that advice. Uh, and last question about migraines. Somebody who has a lot of migraines, we're talking about the stress here in the brain. How, how do you work those muscles? What can you do? Is it about the food, or is it about the thoughts, or is it about the lack of exercise or drinking? Well, when it comes to actual migraines, they can come from a couple of reasons. And my area of expertise with migraines, it tends to be more related to the stress that people carry in the back of their necks. And I have a lady I'm working with right now. I've seen her on and off. She went to several doctors who gave her medication, by the way. Hashtag PT over pills. Try physical therapy, physiotherapy before you take any pill ever. That's the, the opioid addiction, everything that's going on. PT over pills before anything. They gave her medicine. They gave her an MRI. They tested out all these different things. She comes to me and I put my thumb, my right thumb in the muscle in the side of her neck and down her shoulders. She she, she was in tears. It, it, two days later, she says, I haven't slept in weeks and I'm feeling so much better. But this gets back to posture. This gets back to muscle stiffness, muscle tightness. So when it comes to actual migraines and stress, have somebody take a picture of you. Just take a couple of steps in place when you're sitting, when you're standing. Have somebody take a picture. And I like to use the Simpsons. You know, Mr. Burns, he's that old creepy guy. Excellent. Is that we look like that. We look like we're hunched over at the front here with the head, with the neck. And you need to think of a string on the top of your head and just pull you straight up. You'll gain some. Oh, look at you sitting up beautiful as well. You'll get some more height, which is great. But when that my because the migraine that people get a lot of time, it's called a tension headache. And it is the muscles that start in the back, those tension muscles, the upper trapezius into the cervical spinal muscles up to the back of the base of the skull. It pulls. It pulls on those right there. And that causes to be tight, which causes right up into the temporal, the temple here. And it causes people to get those tension headaches. And it all causes because the head weighs eight pounds. And when your head is too far forward, all those muscles in the back all day are working like construction workers trying to hold it up the whole day. They're, please don't fall over, don't fall over. And at the end of the day, they are so tired of working. And that's when those muscles, they adaptively shorten. They get tighter and tighter and tighter to help with the support of your head, that eight pound head. 
And then when those muscles get shorter, they push on everything, which causes these headaches right through here. But yes, hydration is also a really big thing. And if you've ever had a late night out, hydration, the first thing in the morning will definitely help with some of that too. Wow, wow, wow. That is so interesting what you said about the head and how the, the muscles pull. That makes sense now, you see, why people need to have a good posture. I like that. Thank you very much. Where can people find you? They'd like to continue this conversation with you or maybe book a session with you. Absolutely. Well, my Instagram is one of the best places to find me. My personal Instagram is Breakaway PT, which we'll definitely tag there. Um, I, I have a website. It's breakawayphysicaltherapy.com. My personal Facebook is also good. It's just my name and all the links will be right there. I also have my own podcast where I talk about funny stories in my day in my life. And I never break patients' confidence or anything, but there's so many things that happen and there's so many good stories to be had. It's usually misunderstandings. Uh, it's kind of a play on word. It's called booze your daddy, B-O-O apostrophe S. That's like, you're my boo, we're booze. It's kind of between me and a friend where we call each other boo is like a pet name. And then it's kind of a play on like booze because we, we generally have a beer. It's like sitting around just talking at the end of the day. It's, it's 30 minutes unscripted comedy where I'm just talking, being myself because things happen in my office, things happen in my daily life. And it's worth listening to. It's, it's great for when you're going for your 30 minute walk just to put on something and just go away and find a podcast, find anything. That's what I do. I listen to podcasts when I go running. Some people say you need music to do this, to do that. I don't like running to music. I want to have something entertain me, take my mind off of it. And it all ties in. It, it's great, really. Excellent. So we can find you on Facebook and Instagram under Breakaway Physical Therapy, PLLC. And you have your own podcast called Boost Your Dead. I like that name. <laughs> it's also like, who's your, who's your daddy? You know, it's, not, it's nothing sexual, nothing inappropriate. It's just meant to be like a me and a friend, me and a guest. And I do hope to have you on at some point where it's just about it's about sitting down and just talking for catching up. And people say, I feel like I'm just sitting at a bar and just kind of listening to people talk. And it's really entertaining. Excellent. I'd love to be your guest uh, on, on that. And also, um, so that's we can also see the Dr. Allen off air. I mean, really not with the doctor, but just him talking about his everyday life. That could be very interesting as well. So we can ask questions live during the podcast. Uh, my podcast? No, it's very recorded. But I mean, you and I, we can talk about whatever. But we, we, I'm more than happy to take questions and answer and do different things here and there. And people send in suggestions and we're, we're growing and it's really fun. And it's meant to be entertaining, especially during quarantine right now. It's important to exercise and mental health is very important as well. And I've had my moments. I've had my moments of looking at the ceiling and wondering. And if we all can just take a deep breath and you take care of the mental, you take care of the physical, life is a lot better. It sounds perfect to me. Dr. Allen, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. The advice that you shared is precious. I hope the listeners really found of value. You can ask your questions to Dr. Allen or you can contact him directly on Facebook or Instagram under Breakaway Physical Therapy, PLLC. Beautiful. Sam, thank you so much for having me on. I, you look great. Keep up the great work. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. My mind, body, and soul. Real My mind, body, and soul.